my name is Zanita Galino. I'm a psychotherapist in Salt Lake City, Utah. I own a private practice and I work a lot in my community with people that are survivors of suicide loss. And I'm also getting very involved in suicide prevention here in Utah because it is one of the top states for suicide. And so I want to do all I can with <clears throat> what I've learned and what I know to help those that could also be at risk of suicide. I love working with children. I would say my practice is probably half adults, half children. And so um, during the pandemic, I've been working remotely and doing telehealth. So a lot of it is on the computer. And those of you that are able to work from home in this way, you know that it can be super taxing. You know that um, I know many of you have also been like substitute teachers for your kids until school got out. And so, so much of that learning was in this um, platform and it's also super taxing. So this workshop you've joined today is supporting grieving children during a pandemic. Um, I think that it's super important that we start by saying that children really need security and they're only going to do as well as the caregivers that they live with. So a lot of what we're going to go over is going to be things that support you as an adult, but in so doing, they're going to help you support the children that are in your care or that are in the scope of your family or perhaps children that you work with. So um, we're going to talk a little bit today about tools and framework. Um, we'll go through some questions. We'll open some time up for sharing time as well. So you all can share what has worked for you, what have been challenges for you. And we'll talk a lot about ritual as well and how I believe rituals help us always when we're grieving, when we're honoring somebody we love, they help kids to kind of mark that moment. And so I think it's super important. Um, one thing I think is important to start for our framework is to talk about what we're all going through during this pandemic, during these very uncertain times, it's collective grief. We can't by any means shortchange what that correct collective grief does to us. It's so much uncertainty in the world, not just in the United States, but all over the country. So here in Utah, we've been social distance since mid-March. But if we think about what we've seen in the news, I was in Italy in February and it was just kind of the talk. COVID was just like, oh, it's up north, it's not near us. But since then, like they have lost entire older generations of people in Italy. Spain has been very hard hit. We in the United States have been hard hit by um, this pandemic and it continues to grow. Here in Utah, we've kind of gone down in levels. This is our experience here in the state, but our numbers continue to rise. That's something kids don't necessarily know, but you better believe if you as an adult are struggling with it, the kids can sense that, okay? Because they're super great at recognizing tensions, knowing when they need to pull back, knowing when they don't understand what's going on. And so it's super key to understand that when we're struggling with something, our kids are gonna see that. The uncertainty affects us as well. And kids, they really want safety. That's what they're looking for. They're looking to know that if something should happen to you, they're gonna be taken care of. Perhaps dad died. For me, my dad when I died when I was 10, I am like a living, breathing example. If you don't do anything, according to grief experts, your kids can still do great. Because <laughs> my parents did, my, my mom did not do 
anything according to what I learned as a grief professional, and I'm okay, okay? Grief will have its reckoning. We, those tools are available, but the sooner we can get them, the better that we'll do. Um, the isolation is huge on us as adults and especially children. You know, if kids are um, adolescent age, they're able to like go on FaceTime with their friends. But if they're just like a toddler, they can't do the FaceTime. Maybe they'll see their grandma, maybe they'll see their grandpa, maybe they'll see their cousins, but it's not the same as getting really in the dirt and playing with kids. I want to go over some of the um, effects of isolation on our psychological well-being. So here's some of the impacts of social isolation on our health. One is an increased risk of anxiety. Who has felt that? Every single one of my clients have felt that. Absolutely. Increased risk of depression. All of my clients, even my clients that have very low-grade or non-existent depression are struggling with depression. So if this is something that's come up for you during this time of social isolation, don't be surprised. That's one of the effects of social isolation. Like you're coming by it very naturally. Another increase of social isolation is increased suicidal behavior. Um, people that have a hard time holding on to hope are struggling even more during this time. Um, there's increased smoking and drinking. Perhaps you have somebody in your life that has struggled with addiction and it was something that really seemed to be in the rear view mirror. And now they're struggling greatly again. And you're like, what the heck is going on? We're here, we have our routines. Social isolation is extremely taxing on our psychology, extremely. Um, we can have raised blood pressure. The reduction in physical activity has wild effects. There's emerging research now that is saying that sitting is the new smoking, okay? So the effects and the, the tax that smoking does on our health sitting is the exact same it doesn't affect us in the exact same ways but it's just as difficult on our physiology um increased inflammation so for people that have um autoimmune diseases or for example if they have arthritis or they struggle with fibromyalgia social isolation in and of itself can contribute to inflammation in our body so you're just feeling just not yourself. And it's only the result of social isolation. So let's add on that a very recent loss of somebody we love. Somebody we love dearly has recently died. I know in the keynote, somebody talked about losing their spouse to COVID. What are the effects of that for us when we're in this pandemic and we're going through it? We're socially isolated from people. We're not even able to really attend a funeral. So many of my clients have lost somebody. Many were not as a result of COVID, but they've had to put that funeral on hold. But for all of us that are carrying grief, for me, I was 10 when my dad died, and I can feel this collective grief. I've been in this field for many years, so I'm very aware of people that are grieving and also so many of my friends and my colleagues are people that work in this field and we often come to this field because we've had a loss ourselves this collective grief we just cannot discount it reduced immune system activity is a um, result of social isolation and that is scary when we think about the fact we're all trying to stay well from this virus right just by being alone 
just by being away from the people that we love, by not being able to have that physical touch, our immune system is reduced. Sleep disturbances. How many of you have noticed that your sleep is different? <clears throat> There's research now out of Harvard, and they're calling them COVID dreams. Because people are saying their dreams are so much more vivid since they've been socially isolated. The emerging research is saying that because we are home a lot, we are likely actually dipping into much more deeper levels of sleep, so our dreams are more vivid. Not necessarily just out of social isolation, but it's because our stress levels may be down. They're up in other ways, but we're not running and going and doing as much as we were before. Um, there's an increased risk of numerous diseases, um, like heart disease and diabetes, just as a result of social isolation. So I'm really trying to hit these home because I want you to be able to turn that self-compassion way up. I want you to turn that self-love way up. And I want you to turn your self-care way, way up. If you maybe did one thing a day before for your self-care, I want you to throw more self-care at it. Because just by being isolated from your community, from your friends, from your routine, from your office, you are at increased risk of numerous diseases, of numerous stressors, and that's just from being alone. Let's add on the fact that we are dealing with a pandemic, that we are unsure what's happening with that pandemic, and oh, we also added a social justice revolution on top of that. And so we're not here to discuss the merits of is COVID real, is COVID not? We're not here to discuss, is the social revolution something we should be involved in? Is it real? Is it not? We're here to say, whether it is or not in your household, it is real on the effects it has on your physiology and on your psychology, okay? So one of the um, things that I thought would be really important to talk about with specific to children is that kids need those tools that are age appropriate and developmentally appropriate. So you know your children, know how to approach them when it comes to things that you have to explain to them. It's super key that we're honest and it's super key that we open a dialogue with them. Okay. It's said, and I, it's one of the best things I've heard about um, grief and loss as it affects children is that when we let our child know that their loved one has died, that is the beginning of a conversation that lasts a lifetime. Okay best advice I had ever heard. True, be true, because true, because what it, because what it means for somebody that's going into high school, what it means for someone in high school is not what it means for someone that is getting married and had always envisioned their dad walking them down the aisle and now their dad is dead. So that open line of communication becomes super key to keep that going with regards to our pandemic as well as the social revolution. I think one of the things that has been very interesting to me is the effects that it has in households because people are dealing with it very differently. Some states you're required to wear a mask, but for many, you're not required. So your friends and family can feel very differently about it. They can feel like it's not as real as people believe. Other people are paralyzed by the fear of it. So being able to talk to our children and say, 
this is what we believe in our family. This is what the research is telling us. And so this is how we're going to move forward. And then you teach your children through modeling, um, through example, and through really explaining to them what your position is going to be, but then also how we can show up for the people that we care about in a compassionate and inclusive way. So um, I think that those conversations that you started when it came around, our loved one has died, and keeping that open line of communication, that honest, age-appropriate and development, developmentally appropriate um, understanding and education becomes super key when we're talking about the pandemic as well. Um, Self-care and self-compassion, super important for us as adults, as caregivers, super important for us to model it and super important for us to instill that practice. It's gonna carry children throughout their experience in life to understand how I am right now is wonderful. If I never improve, if I never do another thing to build my character, to do I am worthy right now. And that's what self-care and self-compassion does for us. It is unconditional love. It helps us show up for ourselves and understand, yeah, I'm driven. I try to be great in my career. I try to be the best family man I can. But right now, I'm worthy. Right now, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of care. I'm worthy of patience. I'm worthy of um, compassion right now. And that doesn't change. How many are thinking as I say this, oh, heck, I don't do that for myself. I would say most of us are saying that. But until we can do it for ourselves, it's so difficult for, to do it for other people. And we're expecting people to fill this gap that we've created between the love we provide and the love we give ourselves. And nobody else can really fill that gap. We have to be the ones to fill that gap. We have to be the ones to turn inward, provide that self-care and self-compassion. And as caregivers, maybe we don't have children. Maybe we're an auntie. Maybe we're a neighbor that has little ones within our scope of influence. We have such an opportunity to model and to explain and to show, hey, I'm going to go take a soak. I'm going to go in the jacuzzi because I need some time for myself. Hey, I'm going to do this art class online because I've always wanted to learn these things. And this is an opportunity for me to show up for myself. So there's many ways we can show up for ourselves. But it's super key that we show the kids in our lives why that's important and how it can help us. And I think when you're in a caregiving position or in a place where you have scope of influence with children, that's key to say, we are in unchartered territory. What we're going through right now, people in the early 1900s went through. Great grandma went through it. But we never went through it. We can read it in history books, but we have never known what it's like to carry this very, these very heavy emotions, these very heavy experiences, and all the muck that comes with uncertainty. And telling a kid that in a developmentally appropriate way while also assuring them that we are there for them that is what can make all the difference in the world. You don't have to have all the answers. We just have to let the kids in our life know that we've got them. We don't know what's going on outside the house, but we've got them.
Should something happen to us, there's a plan. They will be well taken care of. Fear not. When kids have lost a parent, somebody in a caregiving role to them, it really becomes scary to think, oh my gosh, now I'm super close to mom. Mom's all I have. What's going to happen if mom dies? Oh my gosh, like this is only grandma we have and grandma takes care of me. What happens if grandma dies? Grandma's old. Everything I hear on the news says grandma can get sick and grandma will die, right? This is what little kids think when they hear that news over and over again. So that's where our role as a caregiver becomes super key. Sharing just, we don't know what's going to come next. But as adults, we are here. We are doing our best to figure it out. And at the end of the day, you are the most important thing to me. And the last thing I'm going to do is let something happen to you if I can help it. That right there is what kids need to hear. After the death of their loved one, when we're going through a pandemic, when we're in a community where the social revolution is alive and well, that's what they need to hear. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I think it's super important that we implement a routine, not just for ourselves, but for kids. You know, now school's out. I believe it's out everywhere. It's for sure out in Utah. And I've noticed a lot of people in the community going, oh, well, this is just like summer. It's absolutely not just like summer. Anybody that shares anything about, oh, look at the airport, it is nothing like summer. I don't even believe Disneyland is open, and that's what a lot of people do for their summer. So it is not like a normal summer. They're just not in school, which is such a relief to these parents, you parents that may be on this um, webinar, who had to take on those teaching responsibilities, who had to work from home while you're also helping your kid through homework in ways you never had to before. In many communities, the level of work that was done was way more than they believed their kids were doing while they were at school. That's not necessarily true, but it was way more homework than parents are used to doing. So implementing a routine, and it doesn't have to be our new normal because there's nothing normal about this. And even in my work with grieving um, clients, there is a whole lot of like talk around, this is our new normal. Let's adjust to our new normal. And I even have clients say, how do I adjust to my new normal? There's nothing normal about having to tell your child that somebody they love dearly has died. The life on the other side of that is not normal, right? Because normal would fit into what you anticipated, what you planned for, the life you saw for yourself. Right now with the pandemic, with the social revolution, with all of it under the umbrella of uncertainty, there's nothing normal about that. And because we have no idea how long it's going to last, and because it's ever-changing, I like to say it's our new now. So a routine we have for right now, it may not serve us in several months when it's time to go back to school. Some, some communities have said come fall, their kids are going back to school with like big restrictions in place. Some communities are saying they're not going back at the end at all. So what's really normal? If it can vary from state to state, then it varies across the country, then it varies around the world. There's nothing normal. We can't put that on it like this is our normal, but we could say this is our new now. And I think that really helps people that are grieving as well, because what is comforting for you now may not be what you find as comforting in the future, right? 
doesn't have the same ring as my new normal, my new now, but I think practicing those moments of mindfulness, of being very present with this moment in time is what helps us find that lasting peace that gets us from point A to point B, from point B to point C, right? And we know we're here at this conference. We're, we have grieved. We are loving people who are grieving. We are missing people who have died, right? And so being able to take those steps forward are key. Finding those moments where we check in with ourselves are key. It's important when we're working with kids as well, I think, that we looked at solutions-focused ways, not problem-focused. When we're the one like keeping all those plates spinning as we talked about before, it becomes like, habit for us to look at the broken cog right let me fix this broken cog let me fix it so that wheel can keep spinning and my household can keep running or i can keep being the best auntie or i can help my neighbors whatever it is that we're doing right wherever our scope of influence is um, but when we just look at things that are wrong it shifts our experience and it shifts the experience of the kids in our life and some ways to go solutions focused over problems focused. Um, say we have a kid that's a tattletale and we can say no one loves a tattletale. We can also shift the way we look at it and say this kid also values rules and rule following. So that's a solutions focused way to look at it. Um, another thing that can be a solutions focused rather than problems focused. We can look at those things around anxiety, for example, that we feel. We feel our heart race. We can be triggered if we have post-traumatic stress and it can really pluck on though like it's happening all over again whatever trauma we may have experienced when we go on solutions focus we're really going to not just look at hey there's this trigger the trigger that's what's bad we're going to look at how we show up for ourselves in the face of those triggers in the face of the fact that our physiology is feeling like it's happening all over again and when we do it allows us to feel much more in control, much more like we're the captain of our experience and much more like what we do really matters instead of we are just a slave to our emotions, okay? When we have been grieving, when kids have lived an experience of grieving their whole life, it really becomes, let me fix all these things that are broken so that I can not have any danger ahead. And that's the trauma mind. That's what happens when we have trauma in our lives. We look for all those pitfalls. We try to keep very alert, hypervigilant, so that nothing's going to surprise us again, right? Because that keeps us in a place where we're never going to be taken off guard, where our apple cart is never going to be tipped again. When we think about it, and when I say it, as adults, we go, well, that's not possible. There's nothing real about that. But that doesn't mean that's not what our physiology tries to do. That doesn't mean that's not what our psyche thinks it can do to keep itself safe. So when we think of those solutions-focused ways, and using the example of anxiety again, we think, okay, so what happens when our heart rate goes up? What things can we do when our heart rate goes up? That's a much more solutions-focused way. And when we show up for ourselves in that way, we're able to tell the little ones in our lives or the adolescents in our lives or the adult children in our lives, hey, 
I started practicing practicing this mindfulness thing and it can seem really woo woo, but you know, I have taken so much more control of my experience. Does it mean you control the world? Absolutely not. But that's what we're seeking when we have trauma. We're looking to control everything, our environment. But once we grab onto these solutions focused ways of not just looking and labeling the things that we're working on, but coming from a point of where can you really affect change here? Where can you truly be in control? And the only thing we have any control over is right here. And think about how hard that is when you want to like get into a little gym routine or you want to cut sugar out of your life. That's you with your own body, with your own mind, and it's super difficult. You can get going for a while and then you struggle. So just keep that in mind when you're dealing with kids. Turn it on yourself. What's this like for me as a grown adult with so many more tools and experiences than the kids in my life have? What's it like for me then? And then how can we turn that self-love and self-compassion inward? How can we show up for ourselves in a way that is edifying, that is sustainable, and in so doing, we show up for the people that we love with more patience, with more compassion, and with more unconditional love. I think my biggest thing is how to explain this, these big concepts to really, I mean, my kids are teeny, my little ones too. How do we meet them where they're at to explain these big, scary things to them? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And I did have like my little visuals over here. Like we've been already social distance for several months. So like kids have seen masks and they know what masks are, right? But mm -hmm. just explaining like why we wear them. Like when we're sick, we can spread germs. And so we wear a mask to keep from spreading germs we might have that we might not know about. If we don't wear masks in our household, but other people do, kids are going to say, why is everybody wearing a mask and why aren't we wearing a mask? And then you can explain from your frame of reference why it is your family is not choosing to wear masks. But helping the children in our life show up from a place of inclusion, not a place of Ugh, they're wearing a mask, but like that's their right to wear a mask and it's my right to not wear a mask, right? And so you help your kids understand that compassion, that inclusion, and in many ways, it's radical inclusivity, right? Because the way we feel about it is not at all the way even people in our own household will feel about it. Like maybe you want to go see grandma or grandpa, but grandma and grandpa are out there living their best life during quarantine. So you have to explain to your kids, hey, we just have to be really careful because this is what we believe is going on. And this is what we have decided is best. Explain to them how a mask works, why we wear a mask instead of we just wear the mask. And when the warmer weather is coming, for most of us in the nation, when schedules are opening up because summer's coming, take those opportunities like Bethany shared. Get out in the sunshine every day. Take those opportunities like we talked about. Um, get to bed a little bit earlier. I remind you again, every hour you sleep before midnight is twice as beneficial for you as the hours after midnight. So yes, those binge worthy shows are fantastic, but try to turn it off. Make yourself turn it off <laughs> and get some good sleep.